You're listening to DottoTech, helping you get the most out of your technology wherever you use it, at home, at school, or at work. Brought to you by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. 20 years, the trusted voice of technology in Canada, Steve Dotto. Hello and welcome to Dotto Tech. I'm Steve Dotto and I'm glad you're joining us today. We have such a busy show lined up today because I have two of the featured speakers coming up at Social Media Camp, which uh, actually is just next week. It's it's coming up next week in Victoria, next Friday and Saturday in uh, in Victoria. And I am really looking forward to Social Media Camp over there. Um, I've been I've gone to a few of them now, and it's such a great networking opportunity. I learn so much when I'm there, and I meet so many interesting people. I am quite looking forward to it. So you're you're probably wondering who the speakers are that I uh, that I have lined up for our our show today. Well, we've got the keynote speaker from the entire conference, Todd Maffin, is going to be joining us to talk about his take on social media. And then I've got Gary Mason joining us. Now, Gary is a columnist for the Globe and Mail. He has been around, actually, he's a, he's a, I think he was born in Vancouver. I'm not positive. But for years, he was also the editor of the sports section for the Vancouver Sun. And we're going to have a fascinating conversation with Gary about the changing world from traditional media to new media, what it's like and what skill set is different as far as the as far as the practitioners, uh, as far as reporters and those who report the news, how that's changing with social media now becoming the the dominant form of media. So we've got great guests coming up. Now before I oh and of course Julian Saunders from London Drugs will be joining us as well. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to mention that uh, with Social Media Camp coming up next week, I will be there. And a friend of mine is giving away a couple of tickets. And this isn't just an insignificant uh, thing. I, the, the tickets for the for Social Media Camp run about 400 bucks. But Matt Astafan is uh, giving away a couple of tickets and you have a chance to enter the draw. So I wanted to get that information out to you quickly uh, because he's doing the draw on Friday, tomorrow. So uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it might have already happened. But if you uh, are listening to this uh, live or very quickly in the repeat, um, if you visit Matt's Facebook page, you just go to facebook.com slash webfriendly. That's webfriendly, as in the friendly web. Uh, right there is the the entry form for you to enter to win, potentially win, one of two tickets to Social Media Camp in Victoria, which launches next week. I think Thursday night is the kind of the... Uh, the gathering of the clans. We all get together and we uh, we we visit at a at a, at a local local some local establishments, and then uh, all day Friday and Saturday are the speakers, the featured speakers, and all of the featured events. So it is indeed an event to be looking forward to. Let's uh, let's see what Todd Maffin has to say about what's happening at Social Media Camp. Joining me now, a keynote for Social Media Camp 2014. Uh, the the awesome Todd Maffin, uh, social media king. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good. Thank you for reading the intro that my mom wrote. Uh, yeah, well, she was. Yeah. Now, now I, I I got I gotta warn everybody listening that uh, that Todd and I have a personal relationship. Uh, does that sound awkward, Todd? That sounds a little weird. Yeah. yeah. But but we are friends. I actually got the distinct pleasure, uh, the, the incredible pleasure of attending your wedding a couple of weeks ago, uh, yeah. which was which was just a wonderful time. So thank you thank you for inviting me to your wedding. So I'm going to be tossing you nothing but softballs. Uh, all for the for the entire for the entire <laughs> well, interview. You were, the, you were the only person who appreciated the musical theater uh, music that was going on during dinner. So. Well, that was strange. Now, for those of you who don't know, Todd is a big fan of musical theater, and <laughs> and I actually do musical theater from time to time. So I didn't mind the fact that there were show tunes running the whole time. But my <laughs> partner was rolling her eyes and just looking at me, saying, "Has he ever heard of the Chili Peppers?" <laughs> 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 yes, when 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 music from Les Misérables starts playing at the wedding, you know that you know that you're in you're 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 there with the with musical theater fans. <laughs> no but no, but it was it was it was a it was a great wedding. And, and how was your honeymoon? I just got to ask you quickly because you went. Yeah, we went to Vegas the next morning, and we were there for six days, which I think we uh, we realized is one day too long in Vegas. But uh, yeah. no, saw some great shows and everything it was fantastic. And you went to the Blue Man Group. But you had a weird thing happen in the Blue Man Group. But they stopped in the middle or something. 
I go to Blue Man Group every time I go to Vegas. In fact, I was just in Vegas yesterday. So I, we came back from the honeymoon, and then five days later, I went back out again for a speech. But um, I go every single time, and it's such a good show. But yeah, it, all of a sudden, it, um, it just sort of stopped. And this announcement came on and said, uh, we're having technical problems. And I thought someone had hurt themselves or something, but I think they just missed a cue and, uh, and it went on. Yes, yeah, they're, they're so tightly integrated with their technology that I imagine something like that could, and it could become dangerous very quickly if they're not careful, that sort of thing. Well, let's, let's talk, uh, let's first of all talk about uh, social media camp. This is, you were there last year, but I don't think, were you speaking last year? I saw you there. I wasn't. No, no, I was just attending. I love, you know, I, I, I would go every year, even if I wasn't speaking, as I did last year. There's just so much stuff there. So many great speakers, uh, present company excluded, of course. It was, it was just, it was really, really good. So this year, you, uh, you are, you are the one of the head note keynote speakers. Not only are you a keynote speaker, but if people are so inclined, they can book to have a celebrity VIP lunch with Monsieur Maffin. <laughs> That's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's on the menu? Uh, no, but I will not be cooking it, so people oh. should be safe from salmonella. <laughs> well, I, let's hope so. Um, so, so what's the what's the title of your talk? Uh, it's deconstructing viral: how to build a killer viral marketing campaign. Really? So, what is your what? Without giving away too much, uh, who should be in the audience, and what are they going to be getting from it? Well, you know, viral marketing at, at my company, EngageQ, we, it's a thing that we get asked all the time, which is uh, how do we make our campaign go viral? And we're not just talking about the big viral videos, you know, like Dollar Shave Club or something like that. We're talking in some cases just like how do I make a post go viral? How do I make, uh, you know, an, a, a tweet go viral? So um, a little while ago, I spent about uh, six months deconstructing 50 of the world's most successful viral marketing campaigns to see if they had something in common. And this goes back to sort of my nerd days when I was a teenager uh, to, to, to hack into software and to remove the copy protection on games. You'd reverse engineer the software. So and I've always kind of kept that skill set around. So I apply it to business methodologies now. So I deconstruct things just to kind of get into them and see how they work. And I, I was curious to know, you know, if I looked at, at 50 of these uh, of these viral marketing campaigns, could I see whether or not there were elements that were common to all of them? Um, and there were. As it turns out, there were six elements, six, I call them genetic markers, that are common to almost every single successful viral marketing campaign. And so if you program, if once you learn, and I'll be talking about the, what these six are, and we can talk about them here as well. Um, once you learn what those are and you program them into your campaign, you know, it's not a silver bullet, there's no guarantee, but the chance of your post or your video or your campaign going viral just goes up an enormous amount. So we, we're, we're going to rip apart some viral marketing campaigns, uh, deconstruct them, reverse engineer them, and then put them back together again, uh, bigger, better, stronger than they were like Steve Austin. So when I think of viral, and I'm, I've been doing a lot of personal uh, kind of musing on the concept of viral versus strategic uh, as far as marketing goes, because uh, as you know, I'm, I'm heavily engaged now in, in, in trying to figure out the YouTube code, trying to figure out exactly what works and what doesn't work on YouTube. And yeah. when I look at different channels on YouTube, I see channels that have grown incredibly quickly virally through a vi some sort of viral connection and then I see the kind of the steady strategic growth and I concentrate my efforts on the strategic growth because I always thought viral was something that was really catching lightning in a bottle and I could it would be very difficult to recreate are you telling me that it's no guarantee but you can plug pieces into any marketing campaign that will give it viral credibility or viral potential yeah, this will this will you know it's it's sort of like being struck by lightning. Uh, a lot of people believe that that being struck by lightning is completely random, and it's not at all actually. When you think of it, like if you want to be struck by lightning, there are steps you can take which will increase the chance of you being struck by lightning. There's there's a, a fellow who's a park <laughs> ranger uh, in the U.S. and uh, and his name is Roy Sullivan, and he had a 35 year career as a park ranger in Virginia. And this guy was has the world record for being hit by lightning. Not once or twice, but seven times this guy, poor guy has been struck by lightning. And, you know, I mean, what made him so unlucky, it, or lucky, depending on how you look at it, it's just circumstance. So, I mean, think about the, the elements that were common to 
to him. So, you know, he worked in Virginia, which is a, a small number of states that is in a corridor that has a lot of thunderstorms. He spends all of his work hours outside. Those work hours are spent in wide open areas. So it's not random at all. You know, factors that made it more likely for him to be hit by lightning were aligned. So it's really simple as that. You know, you there, it, it's certainly no silver bullet, as I said. But if you know these six elements, these six genetic markers to campaigns, if you program them in, those are the steps you can take, which will dramatically increase post or a video or something going viral. Let me ask you, is that your sense in deconstructing those 50 campaigns that the people who authored them understood this genetic viral code and put it in, or was it happenstance that they happened to put these things in? No, I don't think they were following a formula. And, and, and a lot of the campaigns that I went back to are, are older ones, you know, uh, Shreddies, uh, Old Spice, and even some viral uh, videos that are not actually campaigns. I'm thinking of things like Double Rainbow, you know, um, which were not marketing campaigns, but they, they sort of blew up. And all of those had the same six markers as well. So I don't think they were conscious of it. But once you sort of understand what those six elements are, and then that's why I sort of did the legwork on it, um, uh, they, they become things you can program in, essentially. That's uh, that's that's very cool. Now, and that that carries for everything. That, that's going to carry through to YouTube videos as well as to uh, as well as to to graphic campaigns as well as to everything. I guess, right? It seems to work the best. This this methodology, um, uh, which is the six steps, seems to work the best for for videos. Okay. Uh, because a couple of them are emotional based. You know, there's there's an element of emotion. Mm -hmm. So. Um, uh, but it, but it does work with posts. I mean, you know, you can create a post that's emotional. I mean, think about the upworthies of the world and even some of the buzz feeds out there. Some of those links have a, a high degree of emotion. And they also use a lot of these keys, a lot of these genetic markers, probably accidentally, but it works. Well, I am going to be looking forward to taking in taking in this because I always was the of the opinion that viral was happenstance and that I should just think strategically. But you're you're causing me pause to think it over again. So I'm not I'm not saying I'm going to agree with you yet, Maffin. I'm just saying I'm going to I'm just saying I'm going to think about it. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and 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 just out of curiosity, at the lunch, are you just talking to people or are you serving them? Uh, I will not be serving them uh, because I'm incredibly clumsy. Um, but it's going to be kind of an, an open forum. I've actually got three business tools that I use that nobody seems to have heard of um, that that have revolutionized the way we do business at EngageQ. And it's really inexpensive. They're web services. Um, uh, so I'll be sharing those, how those work. One of them is Zapier. You've heard of Zapier, haven't you? Steve? Yeah, well, I use If This and That all the time because it's cheaper. Yeah, If This and That is, is the free consumer version of it. So you can connect things with like photos and the lights in your house. Well, Zapier is that for business so for instance my team we're on a we're in a, a chat room with video all day long uh, and anytime a client views an invoice we get a notification anytime they pay anytime um, a client account of ours sends a tweet out um, you know there's all these different things that are sort of all connected through Zapier so I'll be talking a lot about Zapier and two other services that are really really strong that we love um, and then it's just kind of an open forum, you know. I think there's only 40 people they're accepting in. It's the first 40, um, and so we're going to be, you know, giving those people an opportunity to ask, you know, all the really kind of deep questions that they're after. So, you know, like like show me, like step by step, walk me through how I do conversion tracking on Twitter or something like that, you know. So we have the time because it's more of an intimate group to get into that level of detail. While I, I will try and crash it, maybe I can. I might be, just try and masquerade myself as a waiter during it. That's giving oh, that's me an good idea. idea. Yeah, it's yeah. good. I, I'm I'm going to waiter bomb your uh, your event <laughs> after you photobomb my event last year. year. If, if anybody's interested, they actually I'll probably put, post it as the as the poster image for this is is Todd's famous photobomb of. Please uh, of do. A, I have to say that was a spectacular photobomb. So I so in 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 revenge, I photobombed your wife at her wedding. And uh, several photos. She, she reminded me. <laughs> and one of those pretty much went viral. Uh, uh, Beeler told me that it's been it's been picked up an awful lot. And and uh, and and, and uh, yeah, a lot of people have been kind of slightly criticizing me about the fact that you would do that to a beautiful bride at her wedding. But I go, ah, heck, I'm in the picture. I got it. <laughs> and I was an I invited guest. I was an invited guest. It's not like I was just some random dude walking by. So let's let's take advantage of the fact that I've got you here for a few more minutes, and you can't leave comfortably until I actually release you and yeah. get you to give us kind of state of the uh, kind of state of the nation on what's happening in the 
social media platforms. And let's start with Facebook. Um, they've been uh, obviously they've been uh, beaten up an awful lot in the press and by by a lot of social media marketers with their changes to organic search and that. So, what's your take on what's happening with Facebook and where it's at today? Yeah, this is this was predictable. Um, sadly, um, the, what's happened is that. Uh, you know, when you started a brand page on Facebook, which was free, you were reaching about 20% of your fans. It wasn't unlike Twitter, where where every single tweet you post um, can be seen on the on what is Twitter's equivalent news feed, I guess you could call it, their stream. Uh, Facebook filters them out. And the reason they do that is they say, on average, if they weren't filtering it, the average person would have 1,500 updates uh, every time they logged in every day to Facebook. And that's because they follow, you know, hundreds of brands and and they've got you know a couple hundred friends, so um, there'd be just so many different posts. So they filter it down. Um, but they have been slashing that what we nerds call organic reach, which is the number of people that brands can reach. Right? And we're talking we're talking about the number of people who've already indicated that they like your page, that they want your content. Um, for the longest time, it was around sixteen percent. The latest numbers I heard from last month were a little over six percent now. And Facebook says that it is expecting to slash that to between one and two percent. So if you have if you have um, you know a hundred fans on your Facebook page or a thousand fans on your Facebook page, only ten to twenty are going to see your posts ever, even though they like your page. Unless now here's the catch: unless you cough up a little bit of money, and so Facebook is doing that. And you know what bothers me as well is that Facebook is removing a lot of um, a lot of really good advertising tools. There was a time, and fairly recently, where you could say, okay, fine, you know what, just I will give you money every time I post on my page. Just promote it. Just I'll give you some money and just send it out to more people. And a couple of weeks ago, they stopped that. So you can no longer automatically promote your most recent post. You have to manually do it post by post. Really? Um, yeah, I know. And they didn't. They, you know, Facebook is not is not very uh, uh, good at communicating. They they didn't tell anyone this. Uh, we went to set up a campaign for a client like that, and and we just noticed it when when Facebook had a little thing popped up and said, sorry, you can't do that anymore. Um, so they're changing it. You know, that you used to be able to target um, uh, target some very small groups, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, pages with 100 people or 200 people. And now if, if the bucket of, ad- of people you're advertising to is not big enough in terms of Facebook's uh, group, then uh, they simply will not let you place the ad. LinkedIn is like this as well. I think LinkedIn requires yeah, a minimum yeah. of, of a thousand people. So I, I'm not thrilled with what Facebook is doing. That's for sure. I know, in in the, the in as a brand, rhyme nor reason does not seem to enter into it. And and we have to remember that there's a lot of brands like you and I who are not necessarily selling anything, but we're instead providing valuable content that people are interested in in yeah. in, in, in in consuming. So it's not really a revenue property for us in a lot of cases. Uh, yet uh, I've noticed my like I don't I've never really invested heavily in Facebook as much as others have, but I. In the course of one week, I had two different posts that were both, neither one promoted. They were just for um, my how-to videos that I post, right? And one of them has, and I've only got 3,000 or so fans on my Facebook page. One of them has 2,400 views, and another one has 51 views. Yeah. And so, but the content is essentially identical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's different content, but the same timber. Uh, and it's so it as for me it, it it drives me crazy. However, I still think Facebook is the cheapest way to reach a custom audience to reach. Well, a, here's how to, here's here's the secret to get more organic reach is you've got to get people engaging with you. And there's great speakers at Social Media Camp like Matt Astavan who are are going to be talking about that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, here's a little tip that that we use. Uh, now, don't do this every month because it, your your fans and friends will. Um, will tire of it fairly quickly, but for everyone who engages with your with your post, um, uh, you know, like for instance, uh, commenting or sharing, uh, you will get increased edge rank with them. So, th- so they from then on will see more of your posts in their news feed. So you kind of bypass that. And and here's the little secret dirty trick. Here's the post you should use. Don't do it any more than twice a year at the most. And you want to promote this post, or you want to spend money behind it. Here's, are you ready? You're going to mm-hmm. hate me. Horribly unethical. You say, just testing. Please comment below if you can see this. Oh, nasty. So what happens is that pops up in people's news feeds. You've promoted it, so you've gotten it on the news feed of a whole bunch of people. People will help you. People will, like, I see this, and, and simply the fact that they've commented increases your edge rank with them in the future, and, uh, and that is one of, of a few kind of killer tactics. To, I would uh, recommend you do that quickly because when Facebook figures that out, they're going to slam you for that. 
they yeah. just do that kind of thing. I, you know, I actually haven't seen one. I've seen the very irritating personal post that that comes up from friends that says, "I've been thinking about the number of people following me, and if you really like me and honor my friendship, you're going to copy and paste this and talk about where we first met." Yeah, I hate that one. It's, I, it's, it's not the one that I hate most, but that one I hate a lot. So I just put into every person's uh, that puts that up. I put in steam bath just to see. Steam bath? Yeah, that's where we first met. Oh. Steam bath. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I put. Now, so your talk is, the keynote is the is launching the Open of Social Media Camp. Uh, you're going to be hanging around for pretty much the entire camp, are you? Oh, yeah, I'll be there the whole time. And um, uh, we're, my company, Engage Q, is a, a big sponsor of the event. We'll have a booth there, and my colleague David Twano will be there um, talking to folks. So obviously, you know, we'd love to help people out. Um, so we'll be there for engageq.com. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'll just be wandering around. And, um, you know, I, I, I think as long as you can get past my entourage and, and eight bodyguards, I'm relatively approachable and happy to sit down for coffee if, um, if people just have questions and, and all that sort of stuff. Well, that is the beauty of Social Media Camp is it's the, uh, the network. The, the speakers are great, uh, but the networking is what I really uh, what resonated with me last time is the number of new contacts that I made, the number of ideas that I was exposed to and it was was pretty uh, was 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 fun and uh, I it's been a long time since I felt that sense of community at a conference and uh, yeah. that's what I like about social media camp. So anybody yeah, that anybody that's, very, yeah, and, and you know I, they've done a great job with the content from people. I think they said they've got what is it like forty five speakers or something. Like there's there's <laughs> content for for everyone there from Instagram to LinkedIn to uh, more traditional marketing, marketing automation. I mean it's just a really um, I don't think anyone who does social media or digital marketing or digital communications even for any organization uh, should definitely make it a priority to come to this. It, it is uh, it's the best in the country, and, and I go to a lot of these. SDU. Yeah, and they've got a lot. They've got tracks for the uh, for the uh, for the public sector for uh, for charities and nonprofits. Uh, and lots so my of my friend are returning as the MC for the social media awards. I see. I am. Yes, I'm. I, I, performance last year. Despite <laughs> my performance, I'm doing dual duty this year. I am giving. I'm giving a talk on growing a YouTube audience, and I am. I'm actually doing triple duty. They got me working so hard, Todd. I'm doing these things, quadruple duty. Holy cow! Yeah. It's just layering on top of me. I'm doing these little podcasts for them. I'm doing a uh, an opening night. I think you're going to be part of that opening night. We're doing a. Uh, a kind of a, a talk show format where we're just going to be riffing on all things social media related as a part of the uh, kind of the gala they have, not a gala, but the, uh, the the party they have before the opening night event. So you, we're going to be doing some sort of a, uh, a tonight show type format type thing that I'm going to be giving a, my talk on YouTube. And then I'm going to be hosting the social media awards, which is just fun. I mean, it's just basically looking at all excellence in social media and, and, uh, and be, and hurting cats. And I'm also going to be recording a whole series of, of uh, short little interviews uh, with keynote speakers and the speakers at it. We've got a little, uh, going to have a little room set up. So we'll be seeing you again there. We'll be picking your brain and they're going to be releasing those as podcasts through the year so that they can uh, extend what social media camp is through the year. So we've got lots, so you're lots happening. you off is what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, pub I publish now on YouTube every day. I'm used to a heavy duty workload, but I think I'm going to be even busier than normal at, uh, at social media camp, which reminds me, I've got to pre-record a whole bunch of demos. Can you help me out, Todd? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I, I, I was a judge last year for, for the awards. Um, they asked me to be a judge this year, but unfortunately one of our clients, Woodgrove Center in Nanaimo, is a, uh, is a nominee, so I had to recuse myself from that. But um, That's a boy, big you know, job. You guys had a lot of work to do. <laughs> with what? Oh, with with the judging, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I mean. That was yeah. a, that was. I really respected what you guys, because you guys had to go through a lot of really good sites. And, well, and something like ten categories, and and we had five nominees for each category, um, uh, and so you know you're looking at fifty briefs essentially of um, uh, of, and it's all done in this kind of monster spreadsheet, and yeah, no, it took um, it, it was the better part of a couple of days to go through it. So they give a lot of thought to it. It's you know it is quite a quite an honor to win one of those things. Yes, indeed, and and I'm looking forward to that as well. And this year it's open to the public. Last year it was a dinner. This year it's going to be open. There's going to be a cash bar at it. It should be a lot of fun. Great. Todd Maffin, uh, people want to follow you, toddmaffin.com or EngageQ uh, is your, are, are your websites. I I'm, I'm, uh, got those correct, didn't I? Yep, EngageQ.com or toddmaffin.com. And uh, same on Twitter, Todd Maffin or EngageQ on Twitter as well. I look forward to seeing you coming up uh, next month at Social Media Camp. Todd Maffin is the keynote speaker. I'm Steve Dotto. Dotto Tech is brought to you in part by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. 
Do you have a comment or question for Dottotech? Visit our website at dottotech.com and click on Contact Us. Dottotech is brought to you by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. Now, back to Steve. Joining me now is Gary Mason. Now, Gary is a Canadian journalist working uh, for the Globe and Mail. He covers the national affairs, uh, heavy bent on the political spectrum. And I'm thrilled to I'm thrilled to reconnect with Gary Mason. Now, Gary, I don't know if you remember, but back in the 90s, you used to cover sports for the Vancouver Sun, correct? Right, exactly. And way back in the day, I used to be the computer guy that handled all the stats and stuff for the Lions and the Canucks. So I'd actually see you around. We actually had uh, the odd meal together. You, you might not remember, though. Well, I, you know, now that you mention it, I, of course, I do. I do remember you. It's been a, it's been a while, and, uh, but yeah, you were, uh, you were that geeky guy who was the, <laughs> the, 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 the stats guy. That anytime we had a question about numbers, you were the, you were I was the, the guy. guy. Yeah, yeah I was exactly. always, I was big on the Lions stats. I was always, I always liked stats. I always yeah. liked stats. It's really interesting. You know, it's funny. And now the, the, the uh, that now that you cover politics, uh, the relationship between sports and politics. My son, my oldest son. Uh, actually, he's my only son, but middle middle child. He is studying political science at Laurier, and he sees it. He's a huge sports fan, but he doesn't see any difference between politics and sports. He sees the election campaign as being a great big sporting event that's just as exciting with just as many shifts and all that sort of stuff as you would get in a in a hockey game or in in, in a football game. So I think it's. I, I think it's fascinating that uh, that that you know he has he has that perspective, and I I imagine you've kind of got that perspective too. Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that because um, uh, Langara College, which has the journalism program, which I graduated from many many moons ago, they recently did a profile of me, and that was sort of on the cover with sports and and politics, these sort of my two passions. But I also elaborate on on how similar the the two are, and 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 uh, I mean just for so many reasons, uh, you know, almost the the people that sports and politics attract are are very much uh, very similar. The you know very competitive people, and uh, but you know just sort of you know the bottom line, you know it it's you know even though you know when you talk about elections, you talk about horse races and things like that, uh, and you know it's it's all about production and 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 winning and losing and yeah. who's in front and all that stuff and so there's yeah, there are momentum oh. and all those wonderful things so you're going to be speaking at social media camp and your topic is going to be uh you're going to be looking at mainstream journalism and the effect of of social media i guess that, that'll be one of the things that i'll talk about um and this springs from a speech i gave on vancouver island to the economic summit in which i talked about um uh, the, you know the impact that social media is having on mainstream journalism and, and the way we do our jobs. So, for instance, you know uh, I talk about sort of the life of uh, the everyday reporter. Now, uh, say a print reporter from the Globe and Mail, for instance, goes to a news conference. Well, once upon a time, say from when I was starting out, I would go to the news conference and I would take some notes and then I would wander back to the office and then I would type the type it into a nice little story and give it to the editor and. And that'd be the end of it. Well, you know, those days are long gone. Now the young reporter goes there with, uh, you know, their BlackBerry or iPhone. And uh, not only are they taking notes, but they're taking pictures, they're taking video. Uh, they're, they're also expected to, you know, ask questions and ask smart questions. Um, they might even do a stand-up at the end of it and, and, and post that on the web. I mean, so the responsibilities, oh, and... And, and, and of and course, t- tweet it. And tweet it, yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say. And, without, and tweet it. without the benefit of an editor checking their work as they're sending it out. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, so uh, you've got, you know, four or five different responsibilities now uh, when you go to a news conference. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, one of the things I, I mentioned, Steve, uh, to the audience was, was you know, when you're having to do those many things, when you're juggling those many balls in the air and you're at a news conference, it's impossible to really concentrate on what the politician is saying. And so consequently, you know, the follow up questions aren't as good. Uh, I think politicians oh. are getting getting away with, you know, um, saying things or, or not at least being questioned hard enough by journalists because they simply journalists are just too busy doing 100 and different 
101 different things that if they if they don't do, they're going to hear about it once they go back to the office. So I think I think there's a there's an effect on sort of democracy and 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 uh, you know society that isn't good. So in immediacy, we lose some quality because they don't have time to digest the news. You had this leisurely period of going back to the office to think about what you were hearing you weren't you weren't in communication mode when you were going to the press conference you were in listening mode you were you were you were taking notes and then you had time to digest and kind of assimilate it all before you started to tell your story or to to frame the story exactly and and you also had time to think about what the person was saying at the news conference so yeah. you could you could do a follow up question a little bit later that you know that was thoughtful and then put them uh, the politician on the spot a bit so today you're not looking for you're not looking for comprehension you're looking for sound bites you're looking for what the next thing to tweet to stay ahead of the to kind of stay ahead of the story is well, I mean you're you're looking for it all. <laughs> that's okay. that's kind of that's kind of where we're at now. I mean, um, you know, it's there's kind of two things going on. I mean, the the immediacy is there now. So, I mean, people will know in 2 seconds after a news conference is held what the crux of the news conference is. So, where, you know, my business is going is in, in explanatory journalism. I mean, so what does that mean? I mean, the globe's value uh the next day is to explain what that news conference means. So either provide analysis or through columns like myself, uh, written by people like myself. I mean, that that is where we're going because, I mean, to give a dry account the next 24 hours later of what happened at a news conference on, on Tuesday uh, isn't going to cut it anymore because it's become irrelevant. So that's where we have to make a transition to more thoughtful, meaningful, deeper, uh, probing journalism. Well, the news is done. I mean, it's, how often now do we look at the cover of a newspaper to see what's happening in the world? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, although, you know, every, every time there's a big event, it seems uh, like the Super Bowl, for instance. I mean, they'll go and show the covers of newspapers. You know, yes. And I, I've often thought about that. What's going to happen when they don't have newspapers to hold up anymore? Because, you know, every big event, they always go to the covers of major newspapers to show the show the world what you know people are saying. But, you know, that day will will come and, and yeah. you know, you they've know. got the hats and the T-shirts, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're there yeah. as well. Now, so so it sounds to me like you're kind of bemoaning a little bit of some of the loss of the purity of your craft uh, and the fact that you, you guys are being asked to multitask in so many different areas to take on so many different responsibilities that the actual news gathering and the and the and the clarity of that process is suffering. I think so. I think I mean, obviously, there's going to be some sacrifices made. And I, I think that, you know, I think that that is i mean that, that when you're asked somebody to do as many things as we're asking you know young journalists to do now i mean something's got to give right i mean unless you expect the person to also work 14 hours a day which they do uh, which some of them do for sure um so yeah i mean i i you know i i do think that there's been something lost and the other thing i worry about steve is is people you know, reading a couple of tweets on Twitter from a news conference and then and, and feeling satisfied that they know what happened. Mm. You know, that and there's a danger in that, I think, you know, to, to feel okay, I'm I'm good on that one. I you know, I read I saw a couple of tweets and this is essentially what was said. But you know, obviously we all know that that's that never that's never the case. There's always stuff, you know, there's always subtext, there's always it there's always deeper and it's always much more complicated than it than it seems uh you know bait re, you know reading a couple of tweets on twitter so you have to be careful about that well and that's the adhd society that we're developing is you know we're we've got so many different streams coming to us at once now it's it's interesting you've got a fairly substantial following on twitter now are you super active on twitter yourself do you do you try and uh, do you measure your success by the number of followers and the engagement you have on twitter personally well, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a fairly competitive person, always, <laughs> have, always have been. So, I mean, of course you look at that. But at the same time, I'm not uh, that much of a devotee that, you know, I, I, you know, look at my list of, you know, 100 and, or the, the top 25 things you could do to increase your, your followers and things yeah. like that. And, you know, I kind of come and go, you know, I, I try and make a concerted effort to, to get on Twitter at least a few times a day. And then, of course, if there's... Um, if there's a, a, f a football game on, if my Seahawks are playing, then I'll, I'll do a lot of tweeting or if the Canucks are, are playing. So I, I kind of go in, in, you know, fits and starts and, and 
you know. Well, let me ask you: Do you see yourself in Twitter as as a as a total extension of your work life, as far as communicating to a to your constituency, or do you also use Twitter? As a research tool, do you, do you use it to stay on top of trends? Are you following Twitter or are you basically posting to Twitter? I'm doing both. I'm doing both. Absolutely, I do both. I mean, um, I, I write three columns a week at minimum. Sometimes, you know, last week I wrote five. So, I mean, you you are kind of constantly on the search for things. But, um, but also, you know, if you decide to, you're going to write about a certain topic, you know, Twitter's a, a good place to go as well to – to do some, uh, you know, to do some research and see if, you know, somebody's posted on uh, something that's, that's sort of in the area that you're planning to write about. So, but I often go on Twitter just to see what people are writing about. And I am you know, lot, there's been lots of times where I've gotten ideas for columns based on things that I've seen on Twitter. And what about engagement with your audience? When you started out, there was a real distance. You might see people as you were heading into an arena if you're covering sports you'd see some people that might recognize you from your your picture in the masthead and you'd have little chats with fans but you probably didn't have a real relationship with your audience do you find or do you feel that you have more of a real relationship with your audience now um uh that's a good question i i don't and this is probably something that would be considered a, a no-no on Twitter, but I, I don't engage a lot with with people who you know say something about something I've tweeted on Twitter because I've kind of moved on. And you know, I just I to be honest with you, I feel like I could be on Twitter like all night if mm-hmm. I'm gonna if, if I'm gonna just respond to everybody. Uh, I you know I'll try and respond to a few people, like I'll I'll, I'll send out a reply. But it is sort of like, you know, it's sort of like how I feel when I write a column and uh, I get, you know, know, 200 emails from people, readers who want to say something about the column I've written. Well, I I can't. I just simply don't have the time to respond to all those people. Um, Is that that the nature of your generation? Do you think that the younger columnists coming up feel the same way or do you think that's just the, the job? I think it's just the job. I mean, okay. I don't know. I don't know anybody who's going to have the time to spend responding to people. I mean, I, I've I've used every trick in the book, including like write one response and then cut and paste it into <laughs> you know, different different things, because you feel like I owe it to somebody to yeah. at least give them something, right? But but you know. One thing I noticed going to the Globe from the Sun was just the quality of the letters that you get from people. I mean, some of them are older people, and they're like all you know retired engineers and academics and doctors who put so much. They have into so much their, time to put into them, oh, and and it's so well researched, and and you feel like such a schmuck by you know giving them a, a you know. A, you know, thank you so much for your letter. You know, uh, just a, I, I, it, yeah. it, you know, you know what I mean. You, you you can write about two or three paragraphs, but you there's no way in the world you can do their their response justice because then it would take you know a whole day for me to research a counter response, and it, I just don't have time to do, do it. And Twitter's do you read the them same all? Way. Do you read them oh, all? I, I I read them all. I okay. I totally I totally read them all, and I do I do sometimes send out a, a short note because I know even a even something means something to them than yeah. nothing at all. I, there, I, there's nothing worse than running into somebody and they said, yeah, they, well, I sent you an email once. And my first question is, Oh, did I, did I send a reply back? Yeah. And most of the, most times I, 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 luckily enough I had. Oh, good. So, but, but you obviously feel a little bit guilty about it. You're, you're actually kind of almost fidgeting going, Oh man, because these people do care. And and they oh. honor your work by engaging in a conversation with you in it. Com- completely. I mean, these people have taken time out of their lives to to write me, and uh, I feel I they deserve a response. But sometimes just the response is so overwhelming that you just can't can't possibly get to them all. And you know, so similarly on Twitter, I feel a little bit badly when. A bunch of people will respond to something, and I don't respond. But then I look at other people, you know, other people who have a lot of followers, and and nobody is. I mean, there's people I I've commented on things to other people, colleagues in the business, and they haven't responded. So I, I feel like everyone else is doing it. You know, it's not like something. It's not like you can possibly respond to everybody mm-hmm. who's tweeted to something. Absolutely. We are speaking with Gary Mason, columnist for the Globe and Mail. We're going to take a quick break and return with more of Gary in just a few seconds. I'm Steve Dotto, and you're tuned in to Dotto Tech. 
Dottotech is brought to you in part by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. Do you have a comment or question for Dottotech? Visit our website at dottotech.com and click on Contact Us. Dottotech is brought to you by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. Now, back to Steve. Welcome back to Dottotech. We have Gary Mason on the line with us. Gary is, of course, a noted columnist with the Globe and Mail. Uh, Former, actually, former sports editor for the Vancouver Sun. That's where I got to know Gary. Uh, And we're talking about the impact of social media on on the Fifth Estate, basically. Now, Gary, commented right at the beginning. You started out by talking about how a reporter visiting an, uh, a news conference, how their job has changed so dramatically in, in what they're expected to do. Um, similarly, the consumer of news, their process has changed dramatically. Now we tend to follow just the tweets of that conference as opposed to, you know, uh, as opposed to, you know, being patient and waiting for all of the dust to settle. So we're very knee-jerk as far as reaction goes. And I mean, you commented right away that that's increasingly the, 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 uh, the, the, the morphing of publications like the Globe and Mail is is into now d- distilling, uh, uh, um, basically uh, distilling all of the information and pulling it all together and coalescing it and having a chance to kind of ponder it as opposed to just react to it. Do you think that the general public is, do you think that they are, do you think it's going to change how we consume news, how much we know, and we're going to have a much thinner, is that a good way of putting it, a much thinner understanding? We're not going to have the depth of the issues. We're just going to have a very surface uh, approach to all the issues. Mm, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I don't think I don't think we are. Uh, I, I think if you're interested in news and information, then you then there's more places than ever before to get information. I mean, it, it, about a, a particular subject. So, I mean, there are people who you know will get their news via Twitter, and they'll be satisfied that they know everything they want to know about a particular subject just just based on that. But but then there's people who are have a greater degree of interest. Uh, and we'll use that sort of as a base, you know, uh, a base area from which to get their news. And then they're going to go looking for deeper explanations for it, you know. And don't forget, here's the other great thing about Twitter, Steve, is that a lot of the tweets that you, you see that have information about something that's happened will link to something else, a, a, deep, a story that has a far, you know, greater yeah. explanation. So, I mean, th- that's the one thing that's fantastic about Twitter is the links to great pieces uh, that that are fuller, deeper, provide much more background than the 140 characters, you know, uh, permit. Do you pay any attention to length of, of uh, text byte now? Do you, do you write now any of your regular work, any of your regular column with the fact that this is going to be tweeted in mind? No, not really, because all my columns are generally the same length. They're they're usually about you know anywhere from six hundred and fifty to seven hundred and fifty uh, words. So uh, there's really not much I can do about it. So it's it's pretty it's pretty standard. But you know it's 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 a funny thing that you should say that because I often do think about that when I tweet out the link to a story that's quite long. And I, I often say that, like, this is, this is lengthy, but it's, if you've got, you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes at the end of the day, it's, it's worth, you know, it's worth the, the read. The person who composes the tweets, the skills to compose the really articulate tweets, just as important as the old headline writers, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I often marvel at how, I mean, that that's one of the things that, uh, kind of always bothered me about Twitter, to be honest with you, Steve. It's, it's just that it, there's just sort of such this uh, thirst to be so clever and witty. And, you know, there's almost like this cool language on Twitter. And 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 for old farts like myself, I just think, oh, God, it's just so exhausting to you know, ch- constantly try and be that witty. And, and I, a lot of other people have said exactly the same you know, there's there's kind of a cool boys club, a cool girls club on on Twitter that, you know, uh, people are trying hard to be part of, and uh, I, I, that part of it I don't really have much time for. 
you don't speak hashtag too well yet. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. And my ha- I've got more hashtag fails than successes. That's for sure. uh, as, as, as do as do many <laughs> of us. Now, uh, let's get back to your talk for a second. Uh, what else are you going to be covering? Is there anything that uh, that you like if somebody's going to come? Wh- who do you want in your audience? Well, I, I think anybody who, you know, uh, you know, is interested in social media and, and how it's transforming the news business. Um, I mean, what, what, one of the things that, uh, you know, a, another sort of an offshoot of that is, is sort of people fighting back and, 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 uh, um, uh, and, and sort of challenging people on Twitter, like the trolls that are, that disseminate information that, that, uh, is wrong. Like one of the one of the stories, one of the columns that I wrote that sort of got the attention of uh, a lot of people uh, vis-a-vis you know my position on social media and, and journalism was was Brian Burke suing those people who were disseminating a really horrible rumor about him uh, having this love child with uh, with a, a, a female sportscaster in Toronto. I mean, it's a completely bogus story, but it really took off. And uh, became, you know, accepted as gospel, for, you know, around uh, in many circles. So, yeah. So he decided to uh, he decided to do something about it, and 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 uh, so he's kind of successfully sued some of these people. And I think, you know, people like Brian are going to pave the way for others to to do the same. Because I mean, the the you know, it's it's sort of the downside of the great thing about social media is just how easily it is to disseminate bogus information horrible rumors uh, all that stuff and i don't think i i don't think that we as a society uh, a greater fair-minded society should accept that at all and i we haven't developed the critical analysis skills all that well to be able to our bs detectors aren't working at full power yet no no they aren't they aren't and i think the other part of this though is that uh and I don't know how we work this out. You know, it's got to be greater, smarter minds than mine are going to have to figure this out. But I don't think that we uh, should be providing uh, protection to people who are disseminating horrible, libelous, you know, hatred uh, stuff on the internet. I mean, I just don't think that they should be protected. And uh, I think internet providers and every anybody else who has a role in this should uh, be forthcoming when it when it comes to revealing the identities of these people. You should not be able to hide your identity behind your computer screen. And we see we see some of the big players taking some fairly firm steps that they're getting criticized a lot by a lot of the community in that space. Uh, YouTube uh, recently changed uh, the commenting on YouTube, which used to be just a uh, just a, a rat's nest of rude comments and inappropriate stuff and trolls and in posting YouTube video comments. Uh, they've changed the rules so that you have to sign in. In order to comment, you have to use your Google Plus ID, which is verifiable. Right. And they've completely cleaned up the conversation on YouTube, uh, created a lot more value in the dialogue, but at the same time come under intense criticism and heat from the community that wants to be able to say whatever they want in total privacy. Well, I'd say too bad. You know, if, if, <laughs> if, if you're not willing to put your name or, or you know, be uh, accountable for it, then uh, as far as I'm concerned, then you, you, you lose your right to, to say those things. It's, you know, it's... It, it, it's kind of you know we've we've had the same problem at the Global Mail on our comment board. I mean, we we've really had to tighten it up because uh, you know there there's been some really kind of nasty you know horrible things said about you know uh, some of our writers um, and just unfair stuff. And and obviously we don't have the number we don't have the number of people to 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 monitor every story that gets commented on obviously but yeah. but we have sort of a self monitoring thing uh, i'll tell you the one thing that kind of really did help kind of clean it up was when we put the globe behind a paywall then then <laughs> so it wasn't free anymore to to make those yeah. hateful comments so that and that so that seemed to get rid of a lot of those people a lot of the riffraff leaves when they have to reach into their pocket exactly Okay, I'm going to wrap things up, Gary, by asking you two questions that are completely unfair, but I'm going to I'm going to throw them at you anyways. Okay. The first one is, what do you miss the most? Like, what, what which of these changes irks you the most about how social media has affected the news? Um, well, I, I, I guess uh, you know it would be I would have to sort of circle back to one thing that I talked about at the, at the top, which is just that it, it's just that. I don't believe that journalists today 
have the same time to be thoughtful, to, to, to give their stories, uh, you know, as much time and care and attention and thought, mostly thought that, that, that they deserve. So I, I think that, you know, I, I think, you know, we're lesser for that to some extent. So you're losing some of the craftsmanship of your heart. I, I, I think so. I think that, I think mm. that has happened. I mean, as I said, I, I'm still very fortunate and, and, and consider myself, you know, absolutely blessed that i'm able to do the job i do because i and are you knocking on wood are you superstitious too? i am totally <laughs> i was born catholic i mean we 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 had to do the sign of the cross every time we walked in i think car. we were raised in the, what school did you go to uh i went to well saint joseph's sacred heart oh. to saint patrick's i mean i'm from sarnia oh. ontario so oh back yeah, there back. okay i'm corpus corpus christi here yeah, and then vancouver yeah. college so same thing catholic bo- the brothers yeah, yep. you know. the christian brothers of ireland <laughs> and, and in an elementary school that we were taught by the uh, our, uh the we, i went to our lady of the bleeding knuckles it was a totally different school but um <laughs> anyway um okay so 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 a little bit of the loss of the craftsmanship of your art what's the thing that excites you the most about the social social media's implications in news well i mean uh um <laughs> You know, I, I guess, I guess you know, it's it. This might seem sort of counterintuitive, but but it's also the immediacy of it. You know, I, I love, I love personally being able to do some of the things that I wasn't able to do before. You know, like standing up at a news conference after a news conference is over and being interviewed by you know somebody from the Globe, but and then instantly have that posted on 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 the internet and. And then go back and write a, a thoughtful column, and 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 you know I enjoy I do enjoy you know sort of being able to get the news out first, and and that will always and that will never change with a journalist, is that you always do want to be first, and so now it's just a little bit more difficult to be first, but but you still can be, and and it's not you don't have to wait for the next day's newspaper to come out to be first. I mean you can you can break your stories on the web, and and that's really really exciting. So I mean I think there's more good than bad. That's that's uh, you know a consequence of of the explosion of social media. I just lament some parts of it, but I mean there's just it's it's here to stay, and I think we need to embrace it and use it to to make everything better. I do believe, Gary, that your competitive nature puts you in good stead in this new uh, in in the uh, social media related news world. Well, thank you. I, I'm hoping so. Anyway, <laughs> that, it it gives you the right attitude. I mean, because you enjoy the competition aspect, and I think that's that's one of the things that you need is you need to you need to constantly be looking forward and looking for the challenges, looking for the opportunities, and looking for wins. You know, at the end of the day, you get to you get to do you actually get to do a little bit more than you used to do as well, and you get to be a little bit more part of the story as well, which really is not in the truest form what you were trained to be, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no question about it. And, you know, interacting with people is, is fun, you know, whether it's, you know, on Facebook or, or Twitter. I mean, I really, I really do enjoy that. It's, it's a lot of fun. So, I mean, there's, there's been so many positive things about it that, uh, you know, as a, a person sort of uh, later in my, in my journalistic career, I, I don't, I don't fret about it. It doesn't scare me. I've learned to embrace these things. Otherwise, they'll just eat you up. So I'm, I feel I'm in, I, I feel good about it. You can find Gary Mason's work at the Globe and Mail. He is the national affairs columnist. And, of course, he is going to be speaking to, I'm sure, a standing room-only audience at Social Media Camp. Gary, I'm looking forward to seeing you over in Victoria. Okay, Steve. Good talking to you again. Nice talking to you. Dottotech is brought to you in part by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. Do you have a comment or question for Dottotech? Visit our website at dottotech.com and click on Contact Us. Dottotech is brought to you by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you. Now, back to Steve. Julian Saunders joins me from Regina, Saskatchewan. And Julian... The home media server has a new player uh, stepping up to the plate. It does. The Roku stick is here, and it's one of the most affordable uh, ways to get Netflix and other streaming things onto your TV uh, yet in Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, I use my Apple TV to get Netflix on the TV, and so the Apple TV is like 119 bucks, I think, or something like that, or 129 How much is the Roku? Uh, the Roku is fifty nine dollars in Canada. So about half the price, and yep. So it's it, it's just a what is it? it's is it just a USB stick? How does it work? 
Uh, well, it looks like a USB stick, but it just connects to your HDMI jack on your TV. Oh, it's, okay. So it, plugs it's, in uh, HDMI. Yeah, and it's just a it's it's just a small stick that you plug in, and then it comes with a remote control. That's one of the big ones, because uh, there's there's a another one from Google that's not out in stores, but it is out in Canada. The Chromecast. On, yeah, and the the Chromecast is a, uh, a cheaper. It's only about forty bucks, uh, but you have to use your smartphone, tablet, or computer to control it. So mm -hmm. it's really relying on your stream coming from your device. So you're always having to. Work Worry about your uh, your computer, or your tablet, or your phone being charged or plugged in, and you can't just whip out a remote control and hit play my show on Netflix. Okay, with so with the Roku, so so the Roku, so that that so it looks like a USB stick, and that's going to plug into the back of our TV into our HDMI. How is it controlled? It's, it can't be RF then. No, uh, it, well, it is RF. Yeah, it's not infrared. It's uh, it comes with a remote control that is RF. Oh, sorry, so, that's what I meant. It's not in, yeah. it's not infrared. So it's okay. So it's a radio frequency controller. Okay. Right. Yeah, and it, so that means you don't have to point it directly at the stick. So you can hide the you can hide it. It's really nice when you have your TV mounted up on the wall. You don't have to worry about fiddling with another cable. You just find a free HDMI and plug it in. Most TVs have one on the side, uh, and if you're not using that one, they're usually a little bit further in, so you won't even see the stick. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you just connect it to your Wi-Fi network at home and sign into your Netflix account, and you're on. It's the uh, most updated Netflix uh, uh, player out there. The Roku is the most used uh, box in the U.S., so when Netflix is making changes, they uh, they send them down uh, through priority of who's using what to do Netflix. So your Netflix experience on Roku is the easiest to browse. I know a lot of uh, a lot of my friends with just the Apple TV. Mm -hmm. They hate how they have to go with their remote and hit next when they're watching a TV show. Yeah, they have you have to go down and hit next episode with the Roku. It just auto plays. Uh, it's a, it's a more it's a prettier interface with more information about the shows that kind of thing. So, for for ease of use and for just plugging in, uh, it's a great way to modernize your Netflix. Uh, it also gives you a couple of the uh, the more popular streaming services like Crackle and uh, Vudu, and they're about to implement YouTube on them as well. Okay. Uh, so you can get all of your other streaming too. Uh, it also uh, works from your mobile if you want to do um, uh, photos and videos that you have on your iPhone or Android. There's a companion app that you can put on there, and just like on the Apple TV, uh, you can show your photos and videos on your television through the Roku stick. Okay. So it gives you both of those. What about any other downloaded media that you have, any other types of movie formats that you have on your computer? Is there any way to send that to the Roku? Yeah, uh, through uh, that's through their uh, server called Plex, which is a okay. really popular free server. So, little program called Plex. You put it on your computer, and then you hit Plex on your Roku, and you can stream your stuff. So it's pretty convenient. Now at at fifty dollars. Now that my one thought is, you said about mounting the TV. People have the TV mounted against the wall. What if you have your jacks? What if the um, the HDMI port is facing out straight out the back of the TV? Is there room for the dongle to plug in between the wall and the TV? Uh, there is with a little uh, adapter cable. It's basically okay, a little so you tiny can short around. HDMI. Yeah, so That's you can it. hang it down. Yeah, That's and it just uh, it pow it doesn't need its own. Um, it, it just does its own things, and that's all in the box. So that sounds like a pretty sexy solution, then. Right. Yeah, and it's uh, it's basically the 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 um, the start of smart. It doesn't have a full web browser, is why I say the start of smart. Okay. Uh, so if you have a TV that doesn't have smart features, this is uh, the most affordable, easiest to use option out there. Just plug in, sign on to your Wi-Fi, and you're good to go. Let's face it; people do are doing are increasingly going to one thing, and that is Netflix. So you know, as a Netflix player, that alone makes this thing an appealing solution. Absolutely, yeah, and all of the uh, streaming radio and YouTube and everything you'd ever want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the Roku player at about fifty dollars. Is it fifty? Did you say? Yeah, fifty. Uh, fifty nine. Yeah, fifty nine. So just bucks. under sixty. Yeah, about half the price of the Apple TV. Does a little bit less, but it probably does ninety percent of what you want. Right. Good stuff, Julian Saunders. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Steve. If you're interested in the Roku, drop by London Drugs. I'm Steve Dotto, and you're tuned in to Dotto Tech.
And that is all the time we have for this week's show. My thanks to my guests, uh, to Todd Maffin, to Gary Mason, and of course, Julian Saunders. Always appreciate his sage advice. Uh, one more reminder that if you are interested in coming to Social Media Camp in Victoria, uh, there's a chance you could win a free ticket if you visit Matt Astafan's web-friendly Facebook page. So go to facebook.com slash web-friendly. There you can enter with a chance to win one of two tickets to next week's Social Media Camp in Victoria. If you do end up coming to Victoria for Social Media Camp, well, keep your eyes open. I will be around. I will be speaking about YouTube publishing. Oh, I am so looking forward to this talk. Uh, it's, it's great to talk about things that I'm passionate about to an audience that's passionate about those things as well. Does that make sense? And everybody at Social Media Camp gets YouTube. Or if they don't get YouTube, they should get YouTube. And if they don't get YouTube and they, sh and they still don't get YouTube, then they shouldn't be at Social Media Camp. At least that's my opinion. At any rate, I'm going to be speaking to them about YouTube publishing, talking about growing a YouTube audience, uh, something which, as you know from listening to this show, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, as I said, thank you so much to all of my guests, to Todd, to Gary, to Julian, uh, to you folks for tuning in. I'm Steve Dotto, and we'll see you next week right here for more Dotto Tech. Dotto Tech is brought to you in part by London Drugs. Nobody does it better, except maybe you.